Oh, sorry, that's very loud. Perhaps you'd like to draw your conversations to a close. And uh, David, bring the PowerPoint up for me. In our series about the Holy Spirit, this is the fourth preach. Sorry, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Christine, and I'm privileged to be bringing God's word to you this morning. So in the series, we've heard about who the Holy Spirit is. We've heard about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Last week, we thought about walking with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Something Andrew said uh, a few weeks ago grabbed me. This doesn't seem to be working. Uh, Yes, it is. Okay, good. Um, He talked about sons of the Father who, walking hand in hand with the Spirit, advance the kingdom. That's a great picture for us as a church and for us as individuals, that we're, we're walking hand in hand with God. And before we go on to think about being filled with the Holy Spirit, I want to address uh, an issue that Andrew touched on last week, the masculine language used in the Bible. I don't want anyone to think that they're not part of advancing God's kingdom here. Last week, uh, it In our Bible passage, it started, yes, my brothers, you, my brothers, were called to be free. And Andrew said it didn't just mean men. They were all called to be free. And in the version I was reading, the New Living Translation, it says brothers and sisters. So I'm going to read from a number of passages, just very briefly. You may want to find one of them later, but at the moment, um, I'm going to read from Romans 8. 14 to 17. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery, falling back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, also heirs, heirs of God and heirs together with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. The Bible doesn't talk about daughters of God, sometimes sons, sometimes children. This is because being a son is a status thing, not a gender thing in the Bible, and sonship links into the theme of inheritance, the inheritance of the kingdom. In the biblical Jewish world, women generally depended on men economically. They didn't own property. They couldn't inherit. Even in the UK... Uh, Married women couldn't inherit property, couldn't own their own property until uh, 1882 when the Married Women's Property Act was passed. Do you want me to change the microphone? Is it aggravating? It's okay, is it? Okay. Until 2013, the uh, line of succession to the throne went to the males first, and only if there was no one else left at all would a female inherit the throne. And then they made a law that changed that. So women were, at the time of Jesus, regarded differently to men. They were lesser beings. Uh, There's a Jewish prayer said every morning by millions of Jewish men that thanks God that they were not born as Gentiles, nor as slaves, nor as women. Jesus changed this. Uh, He made us all equal in his kingdom. And in Galatians, we can read, 
You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we're all sons of God. We're not slaves, we're not daughters, we're not Jews or Greeks. We're all sons of God. We all have a part to play in inheriting the kingdom. If we're led by the Spirit, we are all sons of God and inheritors. So we can all walk hand in hand with the Spirit. In order to do that, we need to know God. We need to uh, be filled with the Spirit. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. When we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, it's like being baptized in water. We're surrounded by God's Holy Spirit, immersed in it. Uh, It's something that Jesus does for us. For most people, it's a one-time thing. Um, Being filled with the Spirit is different. In Ephesians 5, um, we can read about that. Not working very well, thank you. Right. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. We've heard a lot about that this morning, haven't we? Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 18 there, where it says be filled with the Holy Spirit, the, the Greek that's used indicates it's a command. Paul is telling us to do something. This is not something that God does for us. He obviously plays a part in it, but it's something we are asked to do. We are told not to be drunk but to be filled with the Spirit. It's under our control. We can choose to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit, living continually under the influence of the Holy Spirit. There are many ways we can do this, and we thought about a lot last week, um, reading God's Word, prayer, worship. We can make godly choices. We can forgive, tell the truth, be kind to one another, not gossip. But I want to think about something different today. I want to think about the Holy Spirit in terms of water, of living water. And I want to take us to Ezekiel to look at the water, the river flowing from the temple. And if you want to find Ezekiel 47, I'm going to be looking at that for a while. Ezekiel 47, verses 1 to 12. I will have it up on this screen, I hope. So Ezekiel 47, 1 to 12, and this is from the New Living Translation. In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on the south side. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway and led me around to the eastern entrance. There I could see the water flowing out to the south side of the east gateway. 
Measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,750 feet and then led me across. The water was up to my ankles. He measured off another 1,750 feet and led me across again. This time, the water was up to my knees. And another 1,750 feet it was up to my waist. Then he measured another 1,750 feet, and the water was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. This river in Ezekiel is a supernatural river, and I want to explain that a bit. Um, some of you will recognize this picture. It's the source of the Riverway in Alton. And if we move out from that source, as Ezekiel describes, we need to go four times 1,750 feet. Um, the Bible, the Hebrew actually says 1,000 cubits, and a cubit is the length from here to here. So it's an inexact measurement, because I'm sure if John was to come and measure his arm against mine, it would be quite a bit longer. Uh, but we can roughly estimate that, uh, so four times 1,750 feet is about a mile and a third. Well, I couldn't find a picture from a mile away, but I did find a picture. Uh, some of you will recognise this. This is Gostry Meadows in Farnham. This is 10 miles from the source of the River Way. So not just a mile and a third, but 10 miles. And the water doesn't quite come up to the children's knees. This is a normal river. The one in Ezekiel is a supernatural river, and it represents the Holy Spirit. So let's carry on. So Ezekiel 47, verse 6. He asked me, have you been watching, son of man? Then he led me back along the riverbank. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, this river flows east to the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Some of you have probably visited the Dead Sea. Uh, uh, there we go. It's a body of water. It's so salty that nothing can live in it. And the reason for that is because there's no outlet from the sea. The water just comes in, and then the only way it can leave is to evaporate. And when that happens, it leaves behind salt. And over the years, the salt has built up so that it's now dead, and no life is there. Although it, it can't support life, but it can support people floating in it. I found a lot of pictures of people reading the newspaper in the Dead Sea, just laying back reading the newspaper. But in Ezekiel, the water will change. The river, the Holy Spirit river will flow into it, and it will freshen the water so it can support life. This is the life-giving nature of that river. So verse 10, fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea, all the way from Engedi to En Eglaim. The shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. Fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea, just as they fill the Mediterranean. But the marshes and swamps will not be purified. They will still be salty. 
When I first read that, I wondered, why? Why doesn't it get rid of all the salt? And then, uh, if you actually think about it, we need salt. Um, Salt's very useful. It preserves, it cleanses. It stops the rose from freezing. Although I don't suppose they needed that much in Israel. Um, But we need the salt. So, God knew what he was up to. And fruit trees of every kind, of all kinds, will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fail, and there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food, and the leaves for healing. This is an incredible river and a a wonderful picture. Uh, The life that accompanies this river. Trees that are always fruitful. And we have apple trees and pear trees in this country. But they bear fruit at one particular season of the year. These trees are always fruitful. There's fish of every kind. This river brings nourishment, healing and refreshment. But what I want you to notice is that this doesn't occur in the temple. It's outside of the temple. As the river flows out, as it flows away from its source... That's where the fruit and the healing is. The further away from the temple Ezekiel got, the deeper was the river. Everything the river touched was healed. Now, um, in John 4, Jesus promised the Samaritan woman, rivers of living water will flow from within. It's a very strange phrase, and obviously not meant to be taken literally. I came across some pictures on the internet of people with water coming out from their insides. It looked very odd. Um, But uh, the woman was thirsty, and Jesus said, you will have rivers of living water. In John 7, we get the explanation of what he meant. Uh, Verses 37 to 39, it says, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty, let them come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. So the rivers of living water Jesus was speaking about refer to the Holy Spirit. And like the river in Ezekiel, the Holy Spirit within us will bring healing and nourishment. But it will not just do that for us. It will do that for others whose lives we touch. And I want to suggest to you that this is intended to happen not just here on Sunday mornings, not just within Life Group, but out there with the people you meet tomorrow morning The river of living water flowing from you is meant to touch them, to heal them, to sustain them, to comfort them. John Wimber said, uh, the meeting place is the training place for the marketplace. In other words, we're training here. This is our training school. This is our college in how to minister in the Holy Spirit. We practice here so that we can go out there. We can go out to Sainsbury's and pray for people and see God meet with them. (laughs) Yes. Like the river flowing away from the temple, which gets deeper and more effective the further it goes, we are more effective out of here 
than we are in here. The people you meet tomorrow morning will be touched by God, but will be touched by the river of living water if we are continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we think about rivers of living water flowing from our hearts, how does that help us think about being continually filled with the Holy Spirit? I said earlier that it's our responsibility. We have a part to play. God sends his Holy Spirit, but we have to choose how we live. It's up to us to keep on being filled. So how? By not doing certain things, we looked last week at choices that we can make. We looked at the, the lusts of the flesh and the things we shouldn't do. By choosing not to follow our own sinful desires. Choices we make can grieve God's Holy Spirit and result in us needing to repent and be filled once again. But then we can also... Sorry, too far. uh, Make good choices that will result in the fruit of the Holy Spirit growing in us. We can pray. We can read God's word. We can determine to be obedient, like we were given the opportunity to do this morning. Imagine that river bubbling up inside you, filling you up. What has to happen eventually? You have to let it out. Remember the Dead Sea that became dead because no water got out of it. And there's a real problem with this water. I don't know whether you can see that. It probably would smell very nasty. And that's because it's stagnant water. It's not flowing. The Father wants to bless us. He wants to minister the Holy Spirit to us. But we shouldn't be self-indulgent with God's gifts. He blesses us in order that we can bless others. We need to allow this river to flow from us and not to stagnate. And as the river flows, we won't become empty because it's springing up. It's bubbling up from within inside us. So as we let it out, more will come. I think that's a really important principle about being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. To give out what God gives us and be refilled over and over again. Um, if, you, if you've shared your testimony with a colleague, after you've done that, do you feel excited or do you feel empty? Usually it's excited, isn't it? Uh, Jesus sent out 72 disciples. He said, go out and heal the sick. Tell people the kingdom of God is near you now. When they came back, they didn't complain about being tired. They didn't complain about the bad food. Or they didn't say how hard it was. They came back all excited and said, Lord, even the demons obey us in your name. Jesus did point out that it's better that their names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But they were happy. They were joyful. They were full of excitement because they'd seen God move in other people's lives. We can make a difference as we walk hand in hand with the Father. Remember where we started from today. We are all sons of God. We can all make a difference. Jesus gives all who come to him the Holy Spirit. So I want to end by telling you some stories. They're not all my stories. 
Um, there are some other people's stories, but some about Alton Town pastors. If you have Nigel's prayer letter, you'll have read this recently. And Nigel wrote, Another aspect of town pastoring that surprises us is the sudden outbreaks of violence. Twice on one evening or early morning, the apparent calm turned into a brawl involving some 50 people in the market square. What was remarkable was that on both occasions, as we emerged into the square, the violence immediately ended. The atmosphere calmed and the people dispersed. As we did nothing, this can only be the witness of Jesus and an act of his spirit. For that we ask you to share in giving thanks to our merciful saviour. That happened. The police turned up apparently 10 minutes after the fights had dispersed and said, where's the fight? We've come to sort the fight out. But God had done it already. And all they did was stand there. Nigel said, we, I, I didn't even have time to think what we should do. The last time I was out, I got involved in a conversation with someone, a young man who said, I'm an atheist. And he went on to say, supposing you're right and there is a heaven, if I lived according to my moral code and always did everything right, could I then get into heaven? It's a bit of a flaw in that logic, but... Uh, Anyway, we talked about this for a long time and I eventually managed to convince him that he never would achieve perfection, which was what he was talking about. And eventually, he repeated back to me, he said, so you mean that all I have to do is to accept that Jesus died for me and I'll get into heaven? And I said, yes. And he just stood and looked at me. And then he said, you've made me speechless. Now, I didn't feel it was quite right to say, well, would you like to pray the prayer of salvation now, as he's still officially an atheist at that point. But God had done that, not me. God had revealed something to him because I was there talking. God works. This is a picture of a man who was inducted as the minister of Basingstoke Baptist Church yesterday. Uh, I didn't know him. And I went on a conference at Cheltenham a few weeks ago. I didn't know how I was going to get home. And in the conference, he stood up and said, I've moved into the area. I come from Basingstoke. I thought, that's my lift home. Thank you, God. It's quite a long way from Cheltenham to Basingstoke. So we did quite a lot of chatting. And he told me his story. He said, in 2003, he read this book. It's called Militant Christianity. And it's by... Jonathan, I'm not sure how you pronounce his surname, Conrath or Conrathy. Um, he's something to do with Good News Crusade and Don Double, for those of you who, uh, Chris and Sarah, I know are aware of them. Uh, and he, Dave said, I read this book, and it's, it's a bit like Smith Wigglesworth. It's full of miracles and stories of miracles, people being healed and saved and set free. And Dave read it and said to me, I got angry. I thought, those things don't happen today. And he was so uh, incensed about it, he got in touch with the author and arranged to meet him. And he and Jonathan sat down and had coffee, and Jonathan said to him in the end, he said, why don't you come and see? Taste and see what God is doing. Come out to India with me. I'm going to India for a mission in two weeks' time. 
Well, Dave did that. He organised himself. He got out there in two weeks' time. And he said that there was a a minister's time. And he sat there and listened to Jonathan teach all the stuff that's in here. And then towards the end of that, there was a, a big gathering, a mission. There was a huge field with a big stage, and he estimated 400,000 people in this field uh, listening to God's word. And Dave was on the platform. And at the end of the teaching, Jonathan turned to Dave and said, now David is going to bring words of knowledge. Now, Dave's words to me was, I wouldn't know a word of knowledge if it came up and bit me. But he said, as he said that, these things happened in my body, pains that I knew weren't mine. And I just began to describe what was going on, and people would respond to it. And there was one in particular that he focused on, where he felt as though his stomach was rolling over and over and over. And it turned out that someone there was unable to eat because their stomach was somehow tied in a knot. And during that meeting, God untied the knot and the person was able to eat afterwards. So Dave saw what God was doing and went back and the next year and the next year until in the end he, he took people from his church uh, and then they set up their own conferences in Africa. Dave saw that when he stepped out in faith, God acted. Now, not everything is extraordinary. Oh, I've gone the wrong way, sorry. Oh. If you could try and go back to the last picture. Don't worry if you can't. It was a picture of Nellie, who's a lady from our last church. She was a lovely lady. And she was a nurse in a residential care home. And she would follow God. She would just share his love with everyone. But she said to me one day, I just felt I should go and visit someone. Someone who lived opposite the church. And she said, as I went, I just felt that God wanted me to go. And she knocked on the door. And the person who came was quite elderly and in a real state because they'd soiled themselves. And there was just mess everywhere. And God had sent Nellie around to clean up the mess which she did with love, I'm sure. I'm not suggesting that God might call you to do that. You might think, ugh. But it was an ordinary thing that God asked Nellie to do. But she was obedient, and she met someone's need, and she brought refreshment and um, encouragement and God's love to that situation. So what should our response be? Jesus did most of his ministry outside of religious buildings. There was some stuff he did in the temple or the synagogue, but most of it was by the lake or in people's houses or on the roadside. And we're called to follow his example. The one uh, scripture that I thought I'd really quite like to use that, but I've got time. Olaf read for me earlier from Isaiah 63. God's Jesus' manifesto, what we're called to take part in, um, bringing his love to others. All he asks is that we listen to what he's doing and we move out in obedience, following the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That's all God asks of us. 
Next week, Andrew is going to be talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and um, maybe we'll practice them. I don't know what he's got in mind. Um, but what we learn here is for us to take out to those who don't know God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us so much that you come and you bring your Holy Spirit to us and you, you baptize us in your Holy Spirit and you give us your good gifts. Help us, Lord, not to hug them to ourselves, but to share them, to allow those rivers of living water to flow out from us to those that we meet day by day. Help us to be obedient to your promptings. Thank you that you will prompt us that you will speak to us, that you will equip us. We trust you, Lord. Amen.